Are you seeking fulfillment for your life? Do you want freedom from fear? That's why we're here. Welcome to Jesus 101, introducing you to the real Jesus. And now, here's your host, Elizabeth Talbot with Mike Tucker. I'm Mike Tucker. And I'm Elizabeth Talbot. Elizabeth, as I told you, there are a lot of difficult things you do as a chaplain because, uh, you know, you're called into the ER, you're called into ICU, you're called into all sorts of different places, uh, difficult times through stressful periods in the lives of individuals. But I think that some of the most difficult times come when you have to tell someone that they're going to die. Oh, that must be really hard. It really is. I remember that I was walking the halls of the hospital when a an oncologist who was an excellent physician but who had a terrible bedside manner mm. and was known for this grabbed me and said, Chaplain, come with me. I have to go tell this man he's going to die. Mm. So we walked into the, the room of a patient, and he's sitting there with his wife, and he's you know looking at the, at the oncologist, and he introduces me as the chaplain, which ought to be a clue for this guy. And the mm-hmm. oncologist kind of you know kind of stuttered and stammered around, saying really not much of anything, and eventually he said, "Well, I'm going to leave you with the chaplain," and left. Oh. And so the man sitting there with this puzzled look on his face, and he looks at me and says, "What was he trying to tell me?" Was he trying to tell me I'm going to die? Hmm. I said, yes, sir, that's exactly what he was trying to tell you. Hmm. He said, well, why didn't he just tell me? Hmm. I said, well, I don't know. I guess that, you know, a lot of doctors are all about healing, and they don't want to admit to failure with, you know, the death of the patient, and he just was uncomfortable with that, and that's why he brought me in here. Hmm. He said, well, I would have rather he had just told me himself. Wow. And I said, I don't blame you. So, you know, then we had the opportunity to talk about his impending death and uh, his feelings about that and prepare for that. It's very hard to tell someone that they're going to die. And it's also hard to tell your loved ones that you are going to die. And today we're talking about the time when Jesus started talking boldly to his disciples about the fact that he was going to die. And this could not have been a pleasant thing for him because Jesus, of course, was not excited about his impending death. It was something that he knew he must do, and we'll see in Gethsemane how he prayed, if it's possible, deliver me from this. But yet he recognized that this was his purpose in being here, and so he begins to make these announcements to his disciples in order to prepare them for this. He was only excited about what he was going to accomplish through his his death. But, you know, the Gospel of Mark, as we told you, is is divided in two, and the second half specifically focuses on Jesus' uh, suffering and death. And we have what we call passion predictions. We had one on chapter 8, verse 31. Then we had another one in chapter 9, verse 31, and now we are on the third passion prediction, very bold, very specific, uh, that is on chapter 10, verse 33. And verse 32 says, and they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and remember that whenever you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up in their lingo. Mm-hmm. You, if Anywhere from Jerusalem is going down from Jerusalem, and everything's going up to Jerusalem. So, they on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking on ahead of them. And they were amazed, and those who followed were fearful. And again, he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him, saying, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priest and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and will deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit upon him and scourge him and kill him. And three days later, 
he will rise again. See how specific this is. And I don't know if you remember that we told you that the second half of Mark uses the title son of man because him as a representative of the human race, right. he's going to suffer and die in our place. A, and he, a veiled messianic term from uh, the book of Daniel. That's right. And here we have very specific things that Jesus knows are going to happen to him. He's going to be condemned and people are going to mock him and spit on him and kill him. And then he says, I will rise again after mm-hmm. that. And this is... Um, one of those pictures that, that is hard for the disciples to accept and understand. Yeah. You know, though you, get, you catch the irony of this because uh, every year they would, people would travel from all over Israel traveling up, going up to Jerusalem, sometimes taking with them an animal to be sacrificed, pointing forward to the cross. Now, here we have the Lamb himself going up to Jerusalem for that particular event, knowing I, you know, perhaps he sees all the other lambs around him, uh, people bringing an animal to sacrifice, and now he realizes that he is the lamb going up to Jerusalem for that particular event. And you realize that the disciples are clueless because oh, yeah. uh, Mark just opposes this announcement of death with an arrogant dialogue um, of the, the mother <laughs> of two of the disciples that comes and talks to Jesus. And uh, he, they're actually asking for a high place, high rank in the kingdom. Yeah. And, and it is ironic where he puts this little story, this little vignette, because we'll see later that Jesus returns to this prediction of his death. But right here, he's got this little power play going among the disciples. And the mother of John and James kind of steps in here to help her sons. Verse 35, and James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to him saying to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit in your glory, one on your right and one on your left. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you were asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but is for those for whom it has been prepared. You know, as, as we both mentioned the fact uh, the mother steps yeah. in. Uh, the other Gospels tell us that this That's was right. actually a premeditated dialogue, that it wasn't something that just James and John decided on no. the spot. They had talked to their mother. Their mother comes also, and the other the Gospels give us those details. And they are so wrapped up on the fact that they want to have this high rank. Mm-hmm. And Jesus just told them that he's going to die, that this kingdom is not about that, and they still don't get it. They don't hear the fact that, that Jesus is a suffering servant. Yeah, what high rank? I'm, didn't I just tell you I'm going to be arrested, scourged, I'm going to be tried, I'm going to be spat upon, I'm going to be, I'm going to be crucified, I'm going to be killed? Don't you get this? And yet here they come with this little argument, you know, can we, can we have the high places, please? Yeah, yes, and you know, this juxtaposition between what the Christian life is supposed to be like and our arrogance sometimes is uh, brought up by Mark with a dialogue that is recorded here uh, that is really interesting on verse 42. So, and verse 41 says that the other 10 disciples started to feel very indignant with James and John for coming and asking him. I mean, you know, how dare they do this? Right. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to teach you what this kingdom of God looks like right. in the community of the kingdom. Verse 42. And calling them to himself, Jesus said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentile lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. 
But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all. This is one of the greatest counsels for all of you out there that are religious leaders. If you are a pastor, or you are a teacher, or you're somebody that counsels people, this is what the Lord says. The Gentiles, meaning those that are um, outside, outside of, of the knowledge of God at that moment, those people use their high rank places to lord over people. But that's not supposed to be a part of the family of God. It's not a part of the church. Even those who are, quote, leaders are servant leaders. That's the idea. Is the, the leader is the servant of all, yeah, just don't, as Jesus was. Don't forget that the gospel is for the least, the last, and the lost. Yeah. Not for those that believe that they're better than anybody else. That's and right. so, Jesus says, "You, this is the way it is among you. And then he gives his own example, which is a climactic uh, verse for the gospel of Mark. Don't forget we had Passion Predictions, 831, 931, 1033, and then 1045 is the climax for the Gospel of Mark. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Now, this is the verse that explains to us why Jesus had to die. Uh, Don't forget that the second half of the Gospel of Mark has that question, why does He have to To die. And here's where he answers it. And he uses two very important concepts. One is that he is the servant of God, that he has come to serve. And this by itself was an Old Testament prophecy. We find in Isaiah chapter 53, this is one of the songs of the suffering servant, uh, starting with verse 10. It says, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong." Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Here we have the sentence, he will justify the many and he will bear the sins of many. And Jesus is alluding to Isaiah 53 in this verse when he says uh, that the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And this ransom was a terminology that came from the slave market. It was the price paid Mm -hmm. for a slave. And here Jesus is saying, I'm dying in the place of many. Again, this this is the fulfillment of his own self-announcement of his ministry, which was to proclaim freedom to those who were enslaved. And so here he's saying, I am paying the ransom. I am setting you free. And what he's setting us free from is the penalty of sin. Under the curse of sin, because we have we have violated God's law, we have turned ourselves against Him, we deserve to die. Jesus came to pay that penalty for us. He died our death so that we don't have to die His death. He was rejected so that we don't have to experience that rejection. Any time that you're not sure of your salvation, come to Mark 10.45. This is your assurance that He gave His life a ransom for your life. Thank you for joining us today on Jesus 101. For more insights and resources, connect with us at Jesus101.tv. That's Jesus101.tv. Like us on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Jesus 101 Institute and follow us on Twitter at Jesus 101 Media. Until next time, live free.